Welcome to our podcast, Transparently Speaking. I am Diana, and I have a son who transitioned at a young age to become his true self. And I am Joy. I have also supported my daughter to transition at an early age. We are here to share our experience and our learning along this journey. We want to provide support and guidance parent to parent. And if you find yourself on a similar journey, we want you to know that you are not alone. So let's dive in, transparently speaking. So Joy, you were telling me recently that some things have come up for you and Samantha in regards to her athletics. You want to share? Yeah, I am really proud of her. This fall, we went through a process of tryouts for a volleyball club team that she was really interested in trying to play for. So she's been playing volleyball the last couple of years and absolutely loving it. The team she chose to play on last year wasn't as competitive. And I think she was a little disappointed in the level of play. And she really wanted to strive to play for a more competitive team. And so we went through that process. I'm really proud of her. She made the team that she wanted to be on. And I'm starting to think about, oh, what does that mean (laughs) in terms of what do we need to be thinking about, if anything, in terms of how sports shows up for us, meaning we've been continuing to be in this space of undisclosed, not informing people, because why would they need to know? And Samantha turned 13 just a month or two ago, and what I'm starting to learn is started to do some research is that 13 seems to be an age where people seem to think it's relevant for them to know about her gender status. And to date, just to be clear, she's been competing on girls, quote unquote, girls teams, correct? Correct. Yep. She's been competing. There's kind of in our location, there are these feeder teams for high school. I'm still trying to figure out how sports is working these days. Because when <laughs> I was a student, it was like there was just awesome after school athletics available. And we just went, you know, there and did whatever sports we want to try. And apparently that happens in high school, but not really in middle school. So my kids are in middle school now and they have feeder programs for the high school. So she's been doing that. There's a couple different schools that combine to get girls together to play volleyball. Fantastic. And then last year was the first time we did this club sports thing. And this year, the extra level of consideration is my mind simply just because I know the level of competition. (laughs) That was one of my questions. Was it the age or the competition? I think it's, well, it's the level of competition that made me think about this, as well as I was filling out the real thing that made me think about it as I was filling out the form. There's all these forms you have to fill out, right? When your kid chooses to play athletics and one of them is the medications. So I had to make a conscious choice about, am I informing them or not about the medication she's on, both her blocker and she started estrogen this summer. So I had to make a conscious choice about that. And then there's, you know, like, is there anything else we need to know? And we know what her gender. And to date, I have not shared any of that. You know, even I'm trying to remember, I think even this summer at camp, we didn't share any of the medical information because it wasn't something, there wasn't a prescription or anything that, you know, she needed to be taking. So we didn't share any of that. And so honestly, it was the first time that I was kind of brought to my mind of like, oh, well, who needs to know or how do I need to be navigating this? Right. And have you shared any of this with Samantha? 
Yeah. So I actually did when we were on the way to filling out, there was like a welcome event for her new team. And that's when we had to hand over these forms to her coach. And I said to her, I was like, what do you think? Maybe it's not a big deal. I think we could just write, you know, the estrogen medication that you're on here. Cause there could be reasons why you're on yes. that. There are other reasons. Yeah. So that's what I shared with her. I said, what do you think? What we can just put that down. And she was like, okay. She just trusted me. Right? She didn't think any more about it. So that's the extent to which we talked about it. And I have not talked with her anymore though, about what I'm kind of discovering. This is all sort of new in the last week or two. So what have you discovered? Yeah. So what I'm discovering, my initial path or plan was to reach out within our club organization. So I wasn't going to go directly to kind of the leader of this particular team or club as going to go up a level. So I started by reaching out to the executive director of this regional organization to ask about policy and procedures because I couldn't find anything online. Honestly, I'm glad I've not heard back from them yet because as time went on, I started thinking, oh, well, let me look at the next level. So in order to participate in this club, we had to join USA Volleyball. Mm -hmm. And USA Volleyball, what I'm discovering, does have gender competition guidelines. So that's interesting. And it's in alignment, it seems like, with the high school athletic requirements. For our state, right? For our state, exactly. So that's why I was like, oh, well, when do I have to do it for that? Because I was thinking, well, that's high school. Okay, great. I still have, you know a year and a half before we're there. But again, the level of competition for this club made me think, oh, shoot, maybe there are rules <laughs> at the club right. level that I need to be thinking about. So that's what I discovered is there is a set of gender competition guidelines. And bottom line, big picture, they have policy to say, you know, they want to be supportive and transgender athletes must request permission to participate by submitting a request. Apparently, there's a chair of a gender commission, and their intention here is, they say, I'm going to just read it. It says, the vast majority of athletes are expected to compete as a member of the gender noted at the time of birth on their birth certificate. The goal of the USA Volleyball Guidelines is to permit athletes to compete in the gender with which they identify while maintaining competitive equity. So athletes who wish to compete as a member of the gender opposite that assigned at birth must notify USAV of their intent at least six weeks prior to competition in which they wish to participate. Sufficient documentation must be provided to permit the GC stands for the gender commission, apparently, to determine the applicant has taken necessary steps to transition to their adopted gender. So I've got requirements here, and I'll walk through that here momentarily. But really what I was trying to figure out is, okay, so who am I disclosing to and how will that level of privacy be maintained? So all I've done actually earlier this morning, I just sent an email to, there's some like general email addresses. I was looking to see if there was like a gender diversity point of contact for the organization. That's where I wanted to start first. But I've contacted both this gender commission email request and a member services person. And the way I'm positioning it is, you know, I'm saying, hello, I'm writing for support and guidance. My daughter recently turned 13 and joined a competitive club team. I've read the guidelines, understand we're required to request permission for her competitive participation in the gender with which she identifies. 
so I explained my daughter identifies as a girl, though she was born with masculine sex characteristics. We transitioned her at the age of five and have supported her, you know, in living in alignment with her identity. She does not disclose her transgender status. And I'd like to understand how USA Volleyball navigates this privacy of our data and information with the regional clubs. So that's how I'm starting, actually, before I even provide the information they're requesting is I want to understand how they navigate this and what that means in order to then figure out how I'm going to navigate it within the club itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that's such a great strategy to go to the top, you know, go to the top first for that privacy reason. I mean, if they're the ones at the end of the day that are going to make the decision, then you like, what's the least number of people that need to know if that's what is desired. But I'm also curious about who is in charge of this gender commission. Like, is it a healthcare provider? Is it like, what is their background? No, I'm super curious about that too. I cannot figure out who this, who's involved on the gender commission. The email address actually says chair at usavgender.org. But in their organizational structure, you know, they have a leadership and staff, and I don't see anything in there referencing a gender group or governance area. So I too am very curious about that. And is there a phone number provided? There is not. I wish there was. Yeah, because that's often the most secure way of anonymity that you can possibly do is just call and ask a general question on privacy, but they're forcing your hand to share an email. I know. So there is, I'm not finding any phone numbers. That's exactly what I did for when I started with the regionals. I left a voicemail with a phone number and I even thought about anonymizing my phone number, right? By doing the star six, seven. It is interesting. And I am really curious to hear what I hear back, but what I'm discovering, I guess the thing this is even just bringing up is this broader question of right now, sort of these are the rules within our state or within this broader club type organization. And I started digging even into our high school sports, you know, our state's kind of rules. And I'm finding it interesting. I'm not questioning why they do it on board, even with providing the data that's being requested. And it is significant. Yes. It's a lot of information, which I just want to say real quickly to our listeners that I looked up the policy for our state soon after Clark transitioned, which was 2013, and there was nothing at the time. So as you found out in 2018, they wrote a policy. (laughs) I don't know if you want to share about that policy. Sure. Well, I think it's really similar. I'm going to start with USA Volleyball, which is maybe a little less level of detail. So these are the things that I have to do. So we will submit a statement that the individual, the athlete wishes to compete in the gender opposite of that of their birth. For minors, the parent must also submit a similar statement. So I guess we have to submit two statements. We have to have a statement from treating physician and include medical records We have to have lab reports of testosterone levels for athletes over the age of 13. And there's some more detail about that. And it says once the gender commission has received all the required information, they will complete the review within 10 days. So the context they provide here about hormones is they say androgenic hormones may possibly provide transgender athletes with unfair competitive advantage. 
Yeah, they're referring to testosterone for our listeners. Yeah. And so they say it may require athletes to provide documentation of appropriately managed therapy at the time of initial application to compete. And then it says after receiving approval that that individual can compete with their identified gender, documentation must be resubmitted and approved prior to the start of each season. Mm-hmm. Now, I just want to point something out here because the high school level stuff's very similar with a little bit additional documentation. So it's a letter from the student. It's a letter from family and friends and community members verifying their gender identity, but it's written as gender identity and expression, which we know Clark's a great example that expression doesn't always align with identity. And they're asking for notes from healthcare providers, the physicians, the psychologists, and the labs. Like, just take a moment to think, even if your child's not transgender, handing over all of these records to somebody who has no medical background to scrutinize. Now, on one hand, I get it. I don't get the level and the amount beyond like if a physician says they have been consistent, like this is who they are. I vouch for it. They're under my care, even a therapist. And here's the most recent levels. But like they're asking for everything. And like why? So that if someone comes at them and says this is unfair, that they have all this information, right? But it's like, what happens when your child is not transgender and they think the level of ability is unfair? What are they going to ask of your child? Because this is a lot. It's more than what they need, but I get that they're trying to cover themselves. Yeah. I'm curious, Diana, when you were saying if you're child was cisgender, you know, and yet maybe competing at a very high level, very exceptional athlete. Are you saying people might question, you know, like, and have asked for hormone levels of that individual? A hundred percent. That is exactly what I'm saying. And there've been discussions about this because certain states have tried to put laws in about you can challenge I don't know that any of these laws have passed yet, but the states have had laws that you can challenge. If you think someone's accepted, you can challenge their gender and ask them to be tested. I mean, some of this stuff includes genital checks, which welcome to our world, cisgender parents. What would you think about that? Are you going to try to hold your child back from don't be too good? Because then they might ask you for a genital check and some blood work. So there are these discussions that have gone on. None of these laws have passed yet. But the fact that they're even being discussed and on the table, I think that's a wake-up call. I think it is. And at this point, you know, where we're at, I'm just thrilled that there's a process and a procedure (laughs) to, like, go through. From my perspective, the thing I'm nervous about at any point in time as our political leanings tend to be more and more extreme And as we have folks who seem to not really understand what's going on, making rules and laws about these things, it's very possible that there could just be a law made in our state that transgender individuals can't even play sports, you know, and I'm terrified of that. Like we would move because she's so into this, like this is her thing. She wants to be an athlete. And if she weren't able to play, like it would uproot all of our lives. We would move. And I think also for our listeners to understand about Samantha is that Samantha has never gone through a testosterone-driven puberty. 
it has been suppressed the entire time. The biggest concern in athletics, although I think it's blown up and I don't even think people know what they're concerned about anymore, but the initial concern has been testosterone levels. Everyone has testosterone. Let's put that out there first. Everybody has testosterone. It's just what's the dominant hormone. So with testosterone dominance, you're going to have a stronger upper body. You might have some thickening of the bones. And it also depends when you're exposed to that like higher level of testosterone too. And what can, like with the bone age at the time, are they susceptible to be thickened, to be, most can thicken, but like widen, things like that. So there's testosterone levels. And so that's the big issue. I think most people think like it seems reasonable because as the policy you read, there can be an advantage, but nothing in science is black and white. It's a spectrum, right? And we saw this last year in the Olympics that two Nambian competitors were disqualified because they had naturally high testosterone levels. Olympics, you know, trying to make it equitable as the language was used, you know, use testosterone levels to test. And these two cisgender women tested with elevated levels. So they were disqualified. Mm-hmm. And people always say, well, what's the right answer? Personally, I think it shouldn't be gendered. I just think it should be le- like different levels. Like here's that level A, B, and C, you know, wherever you compete, because everything is a spectrum, because testosterone is not the only answer, because there are so many other things. Like I identify as a woman, I've been assigned female, but if I could compete against people that are my level, I don't care what gender they are. Yeah. To clarify, Diana, are you saying compete with people my level, meaning just the level of competition is similar or meaning like whatever my, like we create this range of hormones that might be driving performance. Is that what you're saying? Not hormones, not hormones at all. Because I think there's more factors than that. I want to compete with people that are at my level of performance. Okay. That's what makes sense to me. I know we're a long way from there. So we have to deal with the system we have. And I think that there's been a lot of thought put into it, but maybe it's the political leanings. I feel like we're moving away from some of that thought. And I also think it's very simplified, right? To think like testosterone is that simple. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. And I obviously, right, for our listeners, don't have any sort of medical context here. I think what's interesting societally, right, is that we have just always grown up having this distinction between, you know, boys sports or girls sports. And in general, we've always had this gender binary. And so now that the conversations are open to the fact that life and reality is more complicated than that, there's more of this gray space. I think we're all trying to navigate what that means and trying to create a space where we can encourage kids to play sports that they love. And we cannot have to worry about the adults that are going to feel it's unfair somehow. Right. I grew up playing soccer in my younger years. Like it was not gender separated. I mean, this was elementary school. That's why it's sometimes hard for me to understand like, all right, so I might not understand your view that, you know, someone's view, not yours, but someone's view that the unfair advantage, blah, blah, blah. But when we're talking about elementary school age, I'm like, please help me understand. (laughs) I am at a total loss. I agree. I'm totally with you there. And that's back to, I think, socially, we've just created these distinctions or we separate them out. And maybe it's because as they get older, and that's what I think it's interesting too, right? Is the age distinction here 
I'm making assumptions that it's based upon the average age of puberty or when, you know, puberty changes, you know, would be defining, you know, an individual's biology and what's happening in their body and how they're growing and developing and building strength and all these things. So it's interesting though, even for me, like, well, who defines these normal ranges, right? So what has to happen is that testosterone, I'm reading this now here, talks about under the age 12 and under, there's no restriction, right? Like if somebody identifies as female, they can play on a female team. But from age 13 and up, testosterone levels must be within normal female reference range for the age group, you know, for a minimum of six months preceding application to participate. But it's interesting because I, I saw this thought-provoking video about sports and, and the the laws about them in that there is a misogynistic undertone because for the example they gave is Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps has extraordinarily long arms because it turns out he has something called Marfan syndrome. And so his arms are longer. It gives him, I think he has some webbing, something. You know, they're different physical traits that make him a better swimmer, that give him an advantage as a swimmer. And everyone's like, yay for him. But then they show like the female swimmers. And I'm talking about cisgender, not transgender female swimmers. Cisgender female swimmers that have some of these advantages. Maybe they're born with white, broader shoulders, longer arms. Then all of a sudden, there's this like screaming out of like, what's going on? Unfair. Test her. Right? Mm. Nobody's saying, well, that's unfair. Michael Phelps is Marfan syndrome. They should give him characteristics that make him a better swimmer. That's fascinating. Gosh, we tend to see it in female sports more that these biological characteristics that give an advantage are scrutinized and wanted to be tested. Where in male sports, they're celebrated. Yay him. He has Marfans. Don't get me wrong. I don't mean to make light of it. There are health risks to having Marfans. So. Yeah, no, it's just what's just coming up for me is this continual challenge. You know, obviously, we we both identify as women. And so I'm like, "Ah, bring down the patriarchy, you know, like, oh, my gosh, all these challenges (laughs) we face. Oh, goodness. So this has been my journey. This is where I'm at. I'm confident we will be fine navigating it. I'm more sort of curious what it's going to mean. And, you know, whether or not I'm gonna have to fight something in terms of the level of privacy that I'm going to be requesting, because my intention is to say to the USA Volleyball Gender Committee or whatever that organization is called to say, for what reason, you know, would the regional club organization or the club itself need to know this? Right. That's my intention is to continue supporting Samantha as long as that's the way she identifies and prefers to be undisclosed, that it doesn't need to be something other people need to know. Yeah, because if they've deemed that she can compete, Why does anyone else need to know? But I also think like things, I think about like getting Clark into camp. It was very different this year, but originally a few years ago, it was like, all right, he can come and be in the boys cabin, but we have to let everyone know. For us, that's where we drew the line. Like then we're not coming. You may not know the answer to this at this time, but I'm wondering where that line will be for you. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I personally, I don't think I have a line. I think that'll be a, a line that Samantha needs to draw, you know, what's going to be more important for her. If that were the case, right. Where she would have to decide between playing volleyball and being outed versus not playing volleyball. So she can maintain her privacy. Yes. And I know there are a subset of people within the transgender community, as well as outside of the transgender community that feel like, well, 
you know, they tell a lot of us, like, they should just be out. But it's like, no one can tell anyone whether they should be out or not. No one can assess the safety better than the individual themselves and what it means. And we have to be honest. We've talked a lot about this recently, the environment changing, the political environment changing. It is becoming riskier to be out. And I'm not discouraging anyone. Some people will argue that that makes it even more reason to be out. And I will say in the parent circles, the parents that have been out and fighting have said to those who are not out and fighting, choose wisely. It is not the same environment. There is a lot of risks. There's a lot to deal with. So again, back to the point where you may sit there and wonder as a listener, well, shouldn't she just come out and fight the fight? But I don't think anyone can decide that except for Samantha and you, Joy, and your family. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to being forced to make that decision anytime soon, but I anticipate at some point we'll explore that further. That's a wrap on this episode of Transparently Speaking. Thanks for joining us today. Join us again on the 1st and 15th of every month for our next podcast. Thank you to Filter for our awesome music. That's P-H-I-L-T-Y-R. Check them out at Apple Music, YouTube Music, Spotify, or anywhere you download music. As a reminder, we welcome your feedback and questions. Email us anytime at transparentlyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. If you're taking something away from our podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take a moment to provide us a review. The more listeners and reviews, the more people we can reach and support. Thanks in advance. Cheers from Joy and Diana.